This is history for the future. What we can learn from the TRC with Pippa Green. Judge Sisi Kampepe has been a judge of the Constitutional Court since 2009. Born in Soweto in 1957, she got her B-Proc from the University of Zululand and an LLM from Harvard Law School in 1982. She was one of the first black attorneys in the country to specialize in labor law at a time when black workers had few rights under apartheid. She was a practicing attorney in 1995 when President Nelson Mandela appointed her as a commissioner of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. The trade unions which she had represented as a labor lawyer had nominated her for the position, to which she had agreed with some trepidation, she said. I asked her how she felt about it at the time. I remember I was sitting in a friend's house when the TV screen was on and it was news time and they were showing the names that President Mandela had appointed to serve in the Truth Commission. And lo and behold, my name was there. And when, whilst people were screaming, I was just stunned. I, I was stunned because I knew the enormity of the job. I knew what was expected of, of the Truth Commission. I knew the importance of having to make this country to be properly prepared for democracy. Um, it was quite stunning and I felt truly humbled to be appointed to serve. It was also significant, she says, to be on a commission chaired by a person of the statue of Archbishop Desmond Tutu. It was special. The, the Archbishop, like our president, is an embodiment of reconciliation. The Archbishop, like our past president, Nelson Mandela, is an embodiment of true reconciliation of what it means to move from the past to try and create a united nation. To serve with a person of Archbishop's caliber was going to be more than an experience for me. It was an honor. It remains an honor even now because of what I came to learn during my experience with the Commission, whilst the Archbishop led that respectable body. Judge Kampepe speaks about the TRC as a body that could take South Africa from its past to its future. Its mandate in law, she says, was to compile a comprehensive picture of the nature, extent and causes of gross human rights violations, as well as to promote reconciliation, peace and unity in the country. The Commission worked in three main committees – The Human Rights Violations Committee, chaired by Archbishop Tutu, was the first. It invited victims to tell their stories and also asked various institutions to make submissions about what they had done during the conflicts of the past. Then there was the Reparations Committee, uh, whose function was to deal with issues of reparations, look into aspects of what kind of reparations were to be recommended to the, the president to implement. Then, as you will recall, in the post-amble of the interim constitution, there was a provision for the granting of amnesty. 
and the Truth and Reconciliation Act therefore provided for this committee. I was a member of the Amnesty Committee uh, whose function was to grant amnesty on condition that perpetrators of gross violations of human rights were able to show that the act or offenses for which they had been convicted was an act associated with a political objective. And secondly, the amnesty was granted on condition that they made a full disclosure. So my involvement with the commission had a lot to draw from my work as a member of the Amnesty Committee. When it started, we were only five, and we didn't even know where to start as five members. We, we had to start by formulating a form that will have to be completed by perpetrators that form had to be regulated, and we then had to sit and consider what the act required. The act required that the act be an act associated with political objectives and it, it then gave the, a various definition of what that act had to show um, that it was perpetrated by people who were acting under command or under orders or commands of members of either the liberation movement or those who were acting on behalf of the state. And thereafter, we had to sit and decide how full disclosure will have to be measured. We ultimately decided that full disclosure had to be measured in relation to the relevant facts for which amnesty was being sought. The conditions under which amnesty was granted were derived from the Norgard Principles, so named for Professor Karl Norgard, former head of the European Commission on Human Rights, who had helped define political offences at the time of Namibian independence. Most applicants who applied for amnesty failed to meet all the criteria and were refused amnesty. Amnesty was not there to be given lightly. All amnesty applications were subjected to a rigorous process of ensuring that the acts for which they were applying for amnesty were indeed acts associated with a political objective. And for acts to be associated with a political objective, we used what has been known as the Nougat Principle to see if that particular act conform with the requirements contained in the Nougat Principles. Once we're satisfied that the act was associated with a political objective, you then had to go to the second requirement, which required that you've got to make a full disclosure. And most of the applicants were denied amnesty because they were unable to satisfy that important requirement. Of course, a case in point would be the case such as that of Wanus Walush and Clive W. Lewis, who could not satisfy the Amnesty Committee that they had made a full disclosure. There was a fierce debate in the Amnesty Committee about lustration, she says, a system enforced widely in Eastern Europe after the fall of the old communist regimes. 
Lustration is the process of excluding those who have violated human rights from public office. The Amnesty Committee decided in the end not to pursue it. It was ultimately felt that this country had decided on a route of reconciling and building a nation and not because it wanted to retaliate and to revenge. So lustration would constitute an act of revenge or retaliation. We had to make perpetrators also appreciate their humanity as individuals. And if they were going to, if we're going to have lustration being recommended, it would have meant the process of reconciliation and nation building would have been thrown out of the window. Of the 7,000-odd amnesty applications, including those made by the killers of SACP leader Chris Hani, fewer than 900 were granted. In terms of exposing the gross violations of human rights during the apartheid era, the Commission played a critical role, she says. There is no doubt that the Truth Commission highlighted the serious damage that the gross violations of human rights had caused on human relations in our country. The main conflict was between the state, representing a white minority, and the oppressed black population. But this conflict found expression in various ways and involved different sections of our community. So it affected families, it tore families apart. Because if a member of the family worked for a government, for instance, as a policeman, that was seen as a person who is working to oppress the people. And the family got divided because of the involvement of one of its own. It tore communities apart. You will recall the unfortunate incidents of violence that occurred, particularly in Natal between the IFP on the one hand and the ANC on the other. People who were in the same community found themselves being torn apart, uh, either in support of the IFP or in support of the, the ANC. So communities were torn apart. Local places like in townships were also torn apart. There was fear. There was grief because the so-called hostel dwellers who were staying within these existing townships were seen to be supporters of the IFP. And the people who were staying in the townships were seen to be supporters of the ANC. So those localities found themselves in in constant fighting um, and conflict. So the Truth Commission had to try and heal these divisions which were caused between families, between communities. And of course, deep divisions existed between whites and black people. So I would say the strength of the Truth Commission was to highlight the divisions that existed between white and black people.
It created a dialogue between South Africans, she says, allowing many to understand the atrocities of the past. Quite a number of white people claimed they did not know how the apartheid system had oppressed and resulted in untold sufferings of the black people. And it allowed South Africa as a society to be able to understand its past. The Amnesty Committee in particular was able to balance the perspective of these violations. It was something to get the extent of the violations from the side of the victims. But it was quite another when you got the extent of the violations from the perpetrator's side. You will recall that in this country, I think victims had always told stories of their sufferings. But these were never taken seriously because I think some sector of our society preferred to look at them as ANC communist lies. And they really did not understand the atrocities that the police were committing in the name of law and order. The perceptions of many white people changed when police officers themselves testified before the Amnesty Committee about the ways in which they had tortured people or those whom they had killed in cold blood. It was almost impossible, not for all South Africans, to sit back and say, we thought there was law and order. We now understand as a nation that we are a nation that has suffered. We are a nation that now needs to come together, reconcile, put our past behind us to be able to get united and live peacefully and enjoy the rights which the Constitution has guaranteed to all South Africans. The extent of the violence was only possible because of a systematic dehumanization of black people, Judge Kampepe believes. What I found astounding as a reason why the police officers were capable of meeting out so much atrocities and assault people in such a terrible way. All the police officers who came and applied for for amnesty, they gave us an explanation that when they were young, they were brought up with the knowledge that black people did not have a soul. Of course, that then became a black person doesn't have a soul and those who were fighting to liberate this country from the apartheid system were simply branded as terrorists. The most respectable people were jailed as terrorists, she says, including the former deputy chief justice of her own court, Tichang Moseneki, jailed when he was only 15 years old, and Nelson Mandela, who was to become the country's first democratic president. The Truth Commission helped to decriminalize the conduct that people who fought for liberation had been involved in. Whereas they had been seen as terrorists in the past, the commission highlighted their monumental contribution to the freedom that we now enjoy and the democracy that has now been delivered to the country. For all that it could not do, the TRC was a crucial part of the transition, she says. I think the work of the Truth Commission 
has been very profound in assisting this country to reconcile. I don't think reconciliation or the country would be where it is without the firm foundation laid by the Truth Commission. It was important, I think, for the nation to be able to deal with its past. It was important for the nation to know the traumas that the other sector of the population had gone through um, and not to forget, to be able to advance and build on a very united front. The South African-born clinical psychologist Brandon Hamber argues in his book Truth, Reconciliation and Mental Health that past traumas do not disappear with time. Psychological restoration and healing can only occur through providing the space for survivors to be heard and for details of a traumatic event to be recounted in a safe environment. That's what the Truth Commission did. It facilitated the safe environment for healing. 20 years, well, how long is it now? 20 years into democracy. I think it's 16 years. 16 years after the Truth Commission and at its report, what can we say about the state of the nation? I think as a nation, we should be proud of where we are. As a nation, we can now speak on the same page. I think there isn't anyone who can claim convincingly that he or she does not know the oppression that the apartheid system visited on black people. I don't think there is anyone who will not know about the trauma and the suffering that one part of society was subjected to because of an apartheid system. As a country, we now know the importance of caring, the importance of entering into constructive debate to sort out our differences. We now live together, respecting our differences. And in my view, I think we celebrate our differences. Yes, reconciliation is a long process. 20 years into democracy, I think it's important for the country to still be going through the process of reconciling itself. It's a slow process. I think it's like a tree that needs to be watered continuously until it grows, takes family to root, and then you enjoy the benefits of the shade the tree will provide. But there are major challenges to be overcome. 20 years into democracy, What is disconcerting is that the gap between the rich and the poor is not getting reduced. What we need to do now is to make sure that all South Africans seriously commit to building this nation. means we must do far much more as individuals because... The process of healing and reconciling the nation has never been seen to be the process that was only going to be done and completed by the commission. The commission laid the foundation. It is now up to every individual to take that process forward. 
My concern is that for now, big business must invest in the country more in order to develop the country's economy and facilitate transformation. Big business must not keep its money in the banks or invest in foreign countries. Big business must partner with the government to contribute to the transforming of the society. For its part, the government must make the country investor-friendly. It must therefore take seriously the tackling of corruption. It must take seriously the combating of crime. And it must render effective service delivery. But we must also move away from what she calls the blame game. The government can't be said it is doing this, the business is doing that, the workforce is doing that. I think all these important institutions must strive towards achieving a common goal that will benefit the country and its citizens. They are very important in making a difference in the lives of ordinary people. 20 years into democracy, we should be able to see some fruits. Corruption is a major obstacle to development, she says. I think if you have public resources which are not used properly and corruption is allowed to take root in the public resources that should be utilized fruitfully for public good, you cannot as a country properly develop. Is there something that you could appeal to white people to do? I mean, have white people done enough, in your view, to effect the kind of new country that is needed in South Africa? That is an interesting question. I must concede that from my experience in the Truth Commission, I saw the ignorance of white people about the experiences of suffering that black people had gone through. They were quite ignorant about that. Um, And I think they were very truthful, though they didn't know how the apartheid system had heaped this untold suffering amongst amongst the black people. But now they know. The Truth Commission has come up with various recommendations which speak to what every person, and in this regard, every white person, should be able to do. I mean, we have recommended that people must work towards building bridges across divisions of language. We do not see that happening. I don't think white people really see the need to learn and know other people's languages except the language that they speak. So that immediately creates a hindrance towards reaching to the other side of what you've always known. As a truth commission, we have recommended that we must encourage a culture of debate so that people can really be able to resolve the pressing issues of our time. I'm not sure whether the white people are really entering the debate sufficiently. We see what is happening in academic institutions. We see 
the issue that some students are still trying to find space to be heard. And there are white students there who should be joining forces to enable a small group of students to find place. 20 years after democracy, it is not correct that when you talk of academic institutions, you still see some students, and let me dare say black students, trying to still find a place to be heard. And it is because, in my view, I think white people have not gone out of their way to extend a hand of companionship to the black people. Yes, I think we have very good people who have done tremendous and commendable work, but we need to have a commitment from every person, black and white, that healing will take place because this country was psychologically affected, not just by apartheid, but through many years of colonialism. White people should do more because they enjoyed for many years the benefits that came with the apartheid system, she says. They must not feel guilty, but I think there should be a measure of doing a little bit more to make those who experienced oppression and disadvantage to feel much more appreciated and to relieve the pinching shoe that they have been wearing for so long. Given the state of the economy and persistent inequality, Judge Kampepi urges the structure to look at the TRC recommendations and how far they have been implemented. Because those recommendations dealt with issues like education, like the day-to-day living of people who come from rural areas, issues of gender equality. Those are issues that the Truth Commission has already dealt with. They issues of education, issues of inequalities that we still see in, in this country have already been addressed by the Truth Commission. But we need indeed to have a structure that will focus its attention on these inequalities and what should be done to properly and effectively address these inequalities. Because indeed, it is a cause for concern that the gap between those who are rich and those who are poor is getting wider. Yet South Africa has extraordinary people, she says. As shocked as she was by the revelation that many apartheid perpetrators did not consider black people to have a soul and thus not be fully human, she was equally struck by the magnanimity of black people in their willingness to forgive, as well as the ability of some of the perpetrators to show real remorse. She refers to one of the most notorious cases that came before the Amnesty Committee, that of Brian Mitchell and the Trust Feeds Massacre. Mitchell was a commander of the New Hanover Police Station in the Natal Midlands when he ordered police to attack a homestead believed to be occupied by UDF supporters in a nearby village in 1988. The attack came in the midst of the major violence between Encarta and UDF, which saw thousands being killed, wounded and displaced. But the police attacked the wrong homestead, opening fire on people at a night vigil. Eleven people were shot dead, including a four-year-old boy and a 66-year-old woman. 
The case is significant because Mitchell was the first senior police officer to be found guilty of murder in the apartheid era. In 1992, he was sentenced to death, later commuted to 33 years imprisonment. In 1996, he applied for and was granted amnesty. A year later, he returned to the Trust Feeds community to ask for forgiveness. The spirit of willingness to forgive was just one of the most humbling experiences I have gained. I think it is one of the attributes which I live by, even as I sit here in this court, to adjudicate. It's an experience that cannot be properly articulated unless you've gone through. I have also seen how wonderful South Africans, both black and white, are. I have been amazed by the ability of the perpetrators to ask for forgiveness and to show remorse, even though the act did not require them to apologize for what they had done. It was not a requirement, yet it was felt important for them to express that apology and show remorse. Even more so, I was touched by the humaneness which perpetrators still showed in that not only were they satisfied with being granted amnesty, some of them we know someone like Brian Mitchell, who was involved in the Trust Feed massacre, went out of his way to assist the community that he had had a hand in destroying to develop. And that is the kind of people that South Africa has. It is rich with possibilities in the midst of torture, in the midst of darkness, you are still able to make people appreciate their humanity. When security policeman Jeffrey Benzin described to the Amnesty Committee how he had tortured ANC leader Tony Yangeni, he was asked how he had felt about it. He replied he didn't know. It showed, says Judge Kampepe, that the system made those who deliberately inflicted pain on others to be uncaring. We have to be a caring nation. And by caring, I think both black and white will feel obliged to do something, not because the government requires you to do it, but because it is your duty as a fellow human being. And you need the laws to enforce it. Fortunately now, as a country, we have, we have the constitution where our, our rights are enshrined. But to change the mindset of an individual, you don't need laws. Laws cannot change the mindset of a nation. People must realize the importance of showing humanity because that's exactly what is expected of us. Not because some law has been enacted to demand that of us. What relevance, I ask, has the Truth Commission have for a new generation of South Africans? She replies with a personal anecdote. My daughter, for instance, is, is a classic example of the importance of making sure that the young generation knows the past. My daughter doesn't really think it's important for her to know the past. She tells me, but mommy, what happened is in the past. But in my view, it is very important for young people 
to know the past so that they make sure as they move into the future, they never make the mistakes of the past. And for you to never ever make the mistake of the past, it's important for you to know the past. Because you can only avoid the mistake of the past by knowing what the past did. That was Judge Sisi Kampepe interviewed in Johannesburg on the 6th of October 2015. I'm Pippa Green in Cape Town, produced by Jean-Michel. Thanks to the Cape Town Youth Choir for the use of their musical performance of Senzani Na. You've just listened to History for the Future, what we can learn from the TRC. Keep listening for more insights into the state of reconciliation in South Africa, then and now.